people need to know who you are and see you and see your product and be reminded because if they're not reminded of your products, there's a million people behind you who will want to get in front of you. So you've just got to keep peddling. You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Welcome to episode 62 of the Make It British podcast. Now, if you listen to the last episode, episode 61, I talked about uh, Make It British Live trade show and you heard some excerpts there from some of the talks that took place at the show. And I promise you that I would bring you full recordings of all of those talks over the next few weeks so that if you missed out and didn't get a chance to hear them all, or just if you want to recap and pick up on some of the best things that were discussed at the show, that you would be able to do so by listening to this podcast. So the good news is today I have got the first one of those recordings for you. It's with the delightful Tori Murphy. She's a home textile designer who trained in textiles at the Royal College of Art and established her brand in 2012. So just seven years ago, she started with 12 metres of fabric, which she persuaded a UK mill to weave for her. And she made just a few cushions when she first started out. But she now makes over 8,000 metres of cloth a year and has a growing reputation both in the UK and internationally. She's collaborated with some very well-known global brands, including Joe Malone and Estee Lauder. And she is stocked worldwide, including in stores such as Harrods and Heels in the UK. In this talk, which was done live on stage at the show, so there is a little bit of background noise, but I hope that won't spoil your enjoyment of it because it just shows you um, that there was a lot of people there listening to the talk. But in this episode, Tori is going to give some fantastic advice about how to get in front of the buyers for your products, how to make sure they say yes and how to keep persisting with doing that and how to negotiate with buyers too. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Tori. So I'm going to be in conversation with Tori, who's going to be telling us all about her story and how she came to do what she does. Um, and there'll be questions afterwards if anyone wants to ask Tori a question. You okay with that, Tori? I'm good, yeah, ready to go. Tori, everything you're wearing... Everything. ...is made in the UK. It's made in the UK. So just to go through it... Um, Starting with the basics, I won't show you. Kinky knickers, bra and pants. Pantherella socks made in Leicester. Sorry, kinky knickers made in Manchester. Goral shoes made in Sheffield. Justine Tabat dress made in London. And Sunspell t-shirts made in Nottingham. Yeah, brilliant. I think round of applause for the girl for that. <laughs> I won't go through all mine because I don't think my underwear is made in the UK. <laughs> shoes made in London and dress made in London too. So. Um, Right, Tori, for those that don't know, do you want to explain who you are and what your business does? 
So I'm Tori Murphy. Um, my business focuses around English woven fabrics. Um, woven in Lancashire, finished in Yorkshire, and then made into products in Nottingham, in Har, now in-house factory. Um, and we started um, with a capsule collection of, I think, four cushions and three throws that we showed at a trade show in 2012. Um, and over the last seven years, that's grown. Um, and yeah, we wholesale all over the world. Um, and we're in some of the UK's top stores, Harrods, Harvey Nichols, um, Conran. And we're going to come on to that. We'll come on to that. Definitely. Yeah. So you can see your beautiful products here in the background. Did you did you train in textiles? I did. I did um, a BA in fine arts and then an MA in mixed media textiles at the Royal College. And what did you do straight after you left college? I did went you go straight into straight employment? to Milan. Um, I worked as a print designer in Milan, um, but it was whilst I was working as a print designer that I got my first taste of the factory floor. Um, I was sort of meant to be upstairs working as a designer, but the whole thing was done in house. And we often sort of got sent down to fetch things and whatever. And it was actually down there that um, I thought, this is where I want to be. And this is, I'm excited about being down here. So as here. a designer, you felt more comfortable on the factory floor yeah. than being a designer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So where was that factory then? That was in Como in Milan, Italy. Ah, yes, because we both lived in Como for yeah. a bit, didn't we? And worked in Como. Yeah. And at what point did you come back from Como and what what brought you back? Uh, well, it was a relationship at the time brought me back um, and that brought me to Nottingham. Um, and uh, I worked in menswear manufacturing um, and that then introduced me to English factories. So Manchester, Birmingham, Leicester. Um, and it was the mixed experience of this sort of the amazing fabrics that I've been working on in Italy with brands like Dior and Chanel, DKNY, Fendi, coming back to the UK and then seeing the sort of how it worked in England and the two came together and I thought, Do you know what, I want to produce fabric in England. Um, yeah, and I've been so doing that, it since. That's when it came about when you suddenly decided you were going to go out on your, on your own and do it for yourself. Yes. So how easy was it to find that first mill to weave your cloth? Uh, it wasn't easy. Um, so you have to remember, this was maybe about, this was sort of seven and a half years ago. Um, this wasn't here. Um, the show wasn't here. Um, social media wasn't really there. It was a case of picking up the phone and saying, hi, I'm this, can you do this? No, okay. Hi, I'm this, can you do this? No. <laughs> and when you say, I'm this, how did you explain, how did you pitch your idea and what you were going to do to... Um, to these mills, because usually minimum quantities in a mill don't necessarily entertain someone well, this custom is weaving. Exactly. For you. So I explained that I was a textile designer, that I was wanting to launch uh, a collection of 100% woven and made in England um, products. Um, and I didn't have very much money. I was quite upfront about that. Um, and the majority of mills to be honest, said no, or yes, we can help you, but there's 500 meters minimum, and oh, by the way, there's four grand setup charge. I couldn't do it um, until I found one factory that said, do you know what? Okay, let's give it a go, and we'll weave you 12 meters of fabric, and um, we'll, we'll give you a leg up, and we'll give you a chance. That's brilliant. That's fine. And you're still working still with, with that same manufacturer today, yeah. who unfortunately couldn't be with us, 
because she's on half turn. Yeah. And their factory's closed this week, isn't yeah. it? So um, from that first 12 metres of cloth, where were you stocking your textiles when you where, where was who was your first stocking were you going to sell all online oh no i didn't i didn't have Never a plan a web shop my my plan was i booked a trade show ahead of having any product samples Brilliant. idea really of what i was doing but i gave myself a deadline i and this was it this is what i was doing um and I went hell for leather, and it took me six months to get the fabric sorted, find the mills, find the machinists, get the sample sorted, and get to the trade show. Um, I didn't have any stockists. Wow, six months, that's incredible, because actually I normally say to people, a year to 18 months, maybe longer from the first idea. Was that from the point you found the factory, you gave yourself six months, when you found the mill? Uh, no, that was, so I booked the trade show in November 2011, and the trade show was in June 2012. Wow. Yeah. Did you do it? I did it. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, and um, from that point, what happened then? Were you, were you discovered at the trade show? Uh, no, not really. So the trade show was Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I was ready on the Sunday with my clipboard, my order form, ready for these hundreds of people that were coming to take <laughs> orders. Um, and I'd say maybe two people stopped. Um, uh, didn't take any information, didn't do anything like that. So that was... Oh, so you had no price, there's nothing. So you went to the show yeah. with your samples. No, I had prices, I had right. everything. I was all set, ready to take orders. Um, but then no one came onto the stand. And oh, no. so that was Sunday. Uh, two or three people stopped by on the Monday. Um, and on the Tuesday, I thought, this is it. This has been a complete disaster. Nobody's interested. Um, and I arrived... Um, I arrived by tube and I got off the tube and I got an email um, and it was an order from a shop on the New Kings Road saying we would like eight cushions. So I was thrilled. You know, the whole thing had sort of come together and I was so excited that I was late back onto the stand and I nearly, nearly missed the editor of Homes and Gardens magazine who'd seen us on the Sunday and had come back and said, would you be interested in being featured? Oh, wow. So, that, so it was from that first trade show... Because a lot of people, I think, when they're starting out these days, don't think, oh, well, I won't necessarily do a trade show. I'm going to sell everything online. Yeah. Um, so that, so you, what made you decide to, because it's a lot of money sometimes to invest yeah. in a trade show, what made you decide to do that rather than just setting up a web shop and organically letting people find you that way? Um, I was based in Nottingham, um, having worked within... Um, industry before that I knew that if I wanted to get noticed I had to get my product in front of the buyers and what better way than to be at the trade shows that I knew that they were going to be at um, I'd researched my shows I'd been to shows for years and years and years and um, and at the time I, th I think it's different now but seven years ago that was the thing to do yeah Okay, so from there, then you had your feature um, in Homes and Gardens. Yeah. What happened next? So the first stockist that we had, the first sort of breakthrough for us was um, Heels. Um, and that comes with a bit of a story itself. Um, so Will Hophouse, the chairman of Heels, I didn't know who he was. He came onto the stands. He sort of poked his head in and uh, he said... He said, you're not cool, but you're good. <laughs> and I was, You're not cool, but you're good. I was so Is that supposed to be a compliment? Well, I was shocked initially. 
but then I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that. And um, so anyway, so Heels was the first, and then that led on to um, Selfridges and Harrods, Harvey Nichols. Um, but I mean, that wasn't, you know, bang, bang, bang. That was, we exhibited in Paris, in New York, in London, um, and every little nudge sort of takes one to the next step. So yeah. it's not, wasn't a quick process. No, because that was 2011. When 2012, you did, 2012 when, we when you did that yeah. first show. So how? So Hills was the first big store you worked with. Yeah. How did you find that relationship as a very small business yeah. who was suddenly supplying a very big business? Yeah. How how did you find that relationship worked? How? What were the pitfalls? What were the the things that happened that you were surprised so about? So I think that the the things that I was warned about and I had a little bit of insight about was terms of payment um, and that they can be negotiated. So when you're starting out, these big brands come in and they're very impressive and they can be a bit intimidating. Um, but I think, you know, they want your product and therefore you can stand in your corner and say, do you know what? If I do this for you, if I work on this terms, you know, I'm not going to have any money and yeah. therefore the whole thing's going to fall apart. Do you remember what their terms were? What sort of markup were they putting on your um, product? It's generally two and a half, yeah. two and a half times. Um, and, but it was things like payment terms. Yeah. So 60, 90 days. Yeah. A percentage taken, you know, if payment is within 30 days. And they're all the little bits and pieces that can sort of... Um, you know, they make a real difference. Yeah, make a big difference for a small business yeah. who's got no sort of cash flow. Yeah. So we, do, are you saying you're able to negotiate that with yeah. those buyers? Yeah. Brilliant. So a lot of people don't know that. that you could, well, yeah. that, that's it. And yeah. um, the first time I was terrified. Yeah. Because you just think, oh, no, please, you know, I desperately want to be in this store. But that would come at a cost. And mm. you have to think about sort of the bigger picture. And if they say no fine you walk they're away they're not the right store for exactly. you exactly yeah. no so you actually said you know this is my cost price on this yeah like it or lump it yeah yeah brilliant and did you find as you were stocked in that store for longer that they started putting more pressure on you for different terms and no you no. They always kept with the same terms yeah. they didn't try yeah. and make it more difficult or yeah. ask you to lower your prices no i've never that's never been asked once once i've been in a place it's never never changed do you think that, I mean, what's the sell-through like on your product? Is it very good? Uh, generally, we, I mean, obviously not everything is yeah. a total success, but touch wood, things are, we're okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. So after Heels, um, what came next after that? Did you, when did the first international stock is? Um, so I think we did a year and a half, a year and a half of London trade shows, and then we went to, um, we went to Paris and did uh, Maison. Um, and that led on to sort of European stockists and uh, we kept meeting a Japanese distributor. Um, it was nearly right, wasn't right, nearly right, wasn't right. And then after about three years, it was right. Um, what, was, what made the difference? What caused the change between them not being right and then suddenly they were? I think it's having a bit of momentum behind you, a bit of safety with, you know, reputation and sales and we were you know stable and established um and then that opened up the doors um to work with them and that was really interesting so being established then i mean a lot of businesses i know get 
feel like they're being pushed back all the time. I can't get into all these stores. But it is, from what, what I'm hearing from what you're saying, it's about trying again, just yeah. get established with one. And once yeah. people know your name and they've seen you out there yeah. at a show several times, yeah. then they're more like more of the brands are likely to take you on. I think so. It's um, you've, you've got to be seen. And where back then perhaps it was you know, being very visible at the trade shows. I think that's still really important, but I think there are other ways of being visible now. Mm. Um, and you've got to make noise. You've got to, you've got to, people need to know who you are and see you and see your product and be reminded because if they're not reminded of your products, there's a million people behind you who will want to get in front of you. So you've just got to keep peddling. So how do you do that now? How do you make sure you're People are reminded and Tory Murphy is front... Because I, I see you in a lot of magazines. Well, we work with a PR agency. Right. Um, and that happened... Um, so that happened at our second trade show. I wanted um, original BT, uh, BTC lights for the stand. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked them and they, they said, speak to our PR agency, who said no. So I, did they? They did. <laughs> so I bought the lights myself. And um, the weekend before, I did a... Uh, shoots and I got everything photographed with the lights and um, ahead of the trade show I sent the PR agency the lifestyle images and said look I know you couldn't help but this is what I had in mind um, and by the way we're exhibiting at the weekend you know come down and see us and they've been our PR agency since brilliant um, so again that's another way of sort of generating it mm. they're you know very good with traditional print um, but then obviously Instagram and yeah. working with other companies and collaborations. Collaborations and things like that. Yeah. So who have you collaborated with? So we um, sort of historically, we've worked with Estee Lauder, Joe Malone, um, Conran, Sofa.com. Um, uh, we're working with George Smith at Decorex um, in October. Um, and... Yeah, there's been some interesting... So those collaborations, have they come to you or have you reached out to them? Uh, it's been a mixed bag. Um, Joe Malone came to us. Um, mm. Sofa.com came to us. I went to George Smith. Yeah. So it's a, a mixed bag. Yeah, because they've seen you in editorial, in magazines, and yeah. at shows. Yeah. Okay. So how important do you think it has been to your customers that you still make everything in the UK and that it's woven in Lancashire? It's, it's a mixed bag, to be honest. I think um, people appreciate the quality. I'd say 60% of them are bothered that it's made in England. 40% are not. Um, but everybody appreciates the quality of what it is, the integrity of the fabric, the finishing, the manufacturing. I think that's the bit that they appreciate and that's what they... Uh, they understand the value of that. And having worked in fashion and now home, do you, how do you think the two industries differ when it comes to things like getting your products in stores? And get, is it is it easier? Do you think in home? And uh, is that why you you know why did you chose to go, in, go chose, choose to go into home textiles when you'd previously been in fashion? I always enjoyed creating environments. And I think the, um, the importance of home was surfacing in me. And um, I wanted to surround myself with things at home and, um, and it just felt like a natural way to go. Um, 
that doesn't mean that there isn't scope for fashion in the future. Ah, I heard it here. <laughs> but um, I certainly um, feel at home in interiors. Mm. So, it, so it, as far as the manufacturing is concerned, so many things are quite similar anyway. There's quite a lot of crossover, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. Um, does anyone in the audience have a question they'd like to ask Tori? Have we got a lady over there? Hi. Um, thank you for the talk. It's really inspiring. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the collaborations that you did and when you pitched your idea. Yeah. Um, like, how did you go about creating that relationship with the person you were pitching to? Um, so I think you have to be clear as to what you're trying to get out of it. Um, you need to know that it's going to be beneficial for both parties. Um, everybody's going to get something out of it. It's a good story. It's a good fit. So consider all of that before you say, hi, here I am. Um, and keep be persistent because they might not have heard of you to start with. Um, go away, get back in touch six months later. They think, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe not now, but try again six months later. And, you know, things would have changed for you and you might then be ready. Um, so sort of have, have an idea of what it is, make sure that it would work for both people and keep, keep chipping away. Okay, great. Thank you. Chap at the back there. Hello. Hello. Um, I just wondered how um, much of an advantage was it that you worked before in fashion to helping you with your business now? It was completely uh, advantageous. I'd worked, um, I'd worked as a stylist. I'd worked in uh, uh, as a model agent. So I dealt with photographers, stylists, PRs. Uh, I didn't know at the time, everything felt like it was failing, 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 moving from one thing to the next, but every little part of that feeds into what I do. So I knew how to write a press release, I knew how to speak to journalists, to style a, an image, um, and, and also, you know, sort of going through, because I, I studied and then I worked and then I did my MA, and you have a different work ethic. Um, I think it, it was hugely important. I knew what the industry was about. Things need to be commercial. Um, things need to sell. And I think that's only something you learn in, in work. Lady over there, and then the chap behind her in the green top. Before this lady asked her question, though, Tori, is the, are these photographs in your house? Uh, some of them are. Are they? Yeah, some, I thought they might are. be. Yeah. But your house looks amazing. Not at the moment, it's falling down. We're, we're, <laughs> we're doing a refurb, it's yeah, disaster zone. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. Um, my question to you is, during your journey and as you started out, what was your measure of success? I'm sorry? What was your measure of success? When I started, mm -hmm. uh, to, to never have to work for anybody else, <laughs> to earn enough money from what I was doing to not have to go back to working for someone else. And have you, have you succeeded in that? When, in when we your, got into heels. You've never thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back and work for someone else again. No touch There's words. There's never been a time. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, hi. So um, you mentioned right at the beginning that, um, yeah, hey, sorry. Uh, you mentioned right at the beginning that trade shows 2011, 2012 were the way to get um, in front of the buyers. You knew the buyers were going to be there. Yeah. Um, but that, that might not be the case now. Yeah. So are trade shows still relevant? And what are the additional avenues to get in front of a buyer? Okay. So I think there's definitely uh, trade shows will always be a brilliant place. Uh, if you pick the right one, just make sure that you do your research. Um, uh, for example, for us, the trade shows in, in Paris, all of the London buyers go there, as well as the international buyers. So it kind of means we don't necessarily need to do the London shows. So we go hell for leather in Paris. Um, so that's that. But then you can find out who buyers are now. It's a lot easier to find out who they are, where they are, get their work addresses. Um, write to people, send people products, uh, call them up. It's 90% uh, of the time you're going to get a no, no thank you, no. But every no, you're closer to a yes. And um, just, just keep knocking on doors by any way, you know, Instagram, all of this stuff. Get out there, make a noise. So you just mentioned then about sending products to buyers. Yeah. So would you actually send them a freebie and gift it to them, or you would you? Yeah. How would I mean, you do that? Within, I know within, you know, you can go crazy and you can spend a lot of money on it, mm. and it doesn't lead to anything. We've 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 done it a few times. It's um, you know generally you would write ahead of that and know that there's interest. Um, rather than sort of randomly sending a load of stuff. So you try and establish some sort of relationship. Can I send you this? Would you be interested in seeing yeah. this? Um, and then if it's a yes, you can do it. And you can always get the stuff collected at the end so it doesn't have to be money wasted. Mm. Um, and generally people are open to seeing things yeah. and it's a lot easier for them to be sitting at their desk and a parcel to arrive and you know it's there in front of them. So... Um, it's, it's a good way. Do you never try and call up a buyer and ask for a meeting to go in there and show them your products? Um, no, I haven't, I haven't done that. Um, I've generally written. Um, handwriting is sort of... Yep. Um, I love it, and people love it. I love receiving, I love doing it, and um, people seem to react well to it. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with the handwriting, the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Lady here has got a question. Thanks, Tori. Really great information. I just wanted to ask, you mentioned about international stockers. What is the reputation of British manufacturing on the global stage? The reputation? Yeah. Uh, people from my little insights, uh, they... It's, it, it's, there's a tradition behind it. And when we say we're made in England, people generally say, oh, wow. You know, it's, it's still kind of, um, it's definitely a bonus. Uh, it's, it holds a weight, definitely. Made in England or made, made in Britain, which one actually works better? So is it England in terms of the English heritage or British? I've, we, we're made in England and... Um, we enjoy telling that story and the response to that is is really good um but you know that's not exclusive made in britain is 
holds the same weight. Um, it's just with us, sort of logistically, where everything has been that it's made in England. Any more questions for Tori? Lady over here. Oh, we've got a baby down there that's been ever so good. Mm -hmm. Hi, thanks for um, taking the time out today. Um, my question is, have any of the bigger department stores, like Selfridges or Harrods, asked you to be exclusive at any point? Yeah. And then how did you make the decision between thinking, shall I be exclusive or shall I not? Um, I think there's a time and a place for it. Um, and you can be exclusive for six months. And in the grand scheme of things, six months isn't, isn't a big deal. And I think... It's exciting to have a buzz like that around something on both parts. If you're exclusive to somebody, everybody else wants you. So it's, it's kind of a good thing to get. Um, and then again, you can negotiate the terms as to how long you want that to work for. Um, but I, yeah, I think if someone's offering you exclusivity, think about it. It's a good thing to, to take. Yeah, that's good advice. Really good advice. Mm. Anyone else got a question? Any more questions, Tori? Tori, I know you're um, working with the mill up in Lancashire. Yeah. Um, and have you got plans to expand your UK manufacturing going forward? So in February, we moved into a new unit. Um, so we're in Nottingham. Yeah. Um, and we moved into a new uh, exciting unit. So we've got, uh, we've got 30 machines in there. Um, so you've got 30 machines actually in your now wow so the manufacturing is done Brilliant. here so the fabric comes into us yeah um and we've now got room to grow into that um right yeah and how do you find the staff to make those to to, to man those 30 machines that's because we had a, a panel discussion this morning and um one of the things that came up was how difficult it is to actually retain the staff when you've got that many staff and yeah. constantly pay their wages well i just say uh, not all 30 machines are running at the same time no. so they're, um, <laughs> they all do different things so um logistically or sort of geographically again where we are we're in nottingham and where uh the new unit is in hucknall and there's a there's a wealth of textile knowledge there and we've got three members of the same family who've all been in manufacturing for years um and there is a network there. Brilliant. Um, so it's about building a network. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I really loved your story. That's Thank amazing. You. Can we have a big round of applause for Tori Murphy? Thank you. Where can everyone find you if they want to um, buy some of the beautiful products that they've seen behind So here? go to torymurphy.com. Easy. And Tori Murphy on Instagram. Yeah, Tori Murphy Textiles on Instagram. Fantastic. Right, thank you very much, Tori. Thank You've you been very a star. much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me a, just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye bye.